After a terrible call on Simon Holmstrom and a terrible non-call, a Casey Zizekas shorty propelled the Islanders to their fifth win in just eight games. Lane Lambert illustrating that he has learned a ton here in his second season. Wait, what? That, that didn't happen? Hello and welcome to The Red Line, presented by Isles Fix, your only daily New York Islanders newsletter. Subscribe at islesfix.substack.com. Joining me today, as per usual, is my partner in crime, Phil Farber, and we have special guest, Steph Rosner, the uh, Islanders beat reporter for NHL.com and the Hockey News. Uh, Phil, I'll bring you in first. Uh, By the way, technology is amazing. We've got Phil in Toronto. I'm in L.A. And Steph, where are you right now? I'm on the LIR heading to Penn Station to catch my Amtrak to DC. This is I, I, 2023. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, Phil, we'll bring you in first, and then of course we'll uh, we'll bring our special guest in. Uh, well, what could have been, I guess, 11 points and a dominating win versus Detroit Red Wings team. Uh, now this guy is falling. Phil, talk us through it. This guy is falling. Once again, you know, after two wins, nice two wins, they they decided that they're they wanted to eliminate themselves from playoff contention, or so I've been told by all the geniuses in IL Twitter, right? There was a you know a line change that happened that of course scrambled things. And because of that, not only is Lane an idiot, the team sucks, and we're going nowhere, even with a six twenty-five win percentage through eight games. Yeah, for the record, by the way, the sky is falling the season over. Uh, but with Bolduc in the lineup and no Mayfield, the team is actually on pace for 102.5 points. Um, I think most of us would have taken that for every eight-game stretch. But, hey, uh, Steph, love the fact that you kind of, you know, you pushed Lane on this and you asked him about the line changes. Talk us through that when you watched it and, and you know, talking to Lane about that line change. Yeah, so when you saw it happen in the game and you're wondering, okay, the Islanders have a lead here, you know, starting the third period or making line changes. Now, I guess if you had a better, stronger defensive player outside of Wallstrom that you wanted to move on the top line, sure. But the fact that he makes that change and after the game says it was because he wanted to stir up the defense, you know, why is Wallstrom then getting that role alongside Horvat? I understand the move if you want to separate Barzal and Horvat, saying, listen, if you guys aren't going to play sound defensively, we're not going to play together. And in a sense, trying to motivate them. But I don't think up in a game, a game you got to win, obviously, against a team that had lost three straight games, that you want to make that move and make that statement then. Now, there's two ways to look at it, too, is, okay, it had nothing to do with Wallace. It was all about Barzal and Horvat. But then you really wanted to stir up the defense. Why not move Holmstrom to the top line with Horvat and Lee and put Barzal on, his, on the left wing where he said he's more comfortable and play uh, Barzal, Pajot, Wallstrom. So yesterday at practice, I asked him about, you know, what he meant by stirring up the defense, and he said, then he thought it was worse than it was, which is good on Lane for throwing up to that. And again, it's a decision that gets made that if the Islanders win and that new those two new lines produce or shut the door, we're not talking about this. However, though, the first two goals that Detroit allows is against those two new line changes. And he also said that, you know, he just thought what he did was the move. He said that he thought if putting Wallace up there balanced out the lines more. And Lane, Lane is the coach. Speaking to Barzal, though, I, you know, I asked Barzal about it. And he said, you know, Lane's the coach. He, know, he knows what he's doing. But then went on to say that, you know, he didn't think that they had allowed a lot of goals, him and Corbett being on the ice. He thinks he's on the, the ice for 
two goals against. He said that maybe we're trading chances, but we definitely outchanced our opponent, which the advanced analytics, I'm pretty sure, do show. Now, again, I understand the move to be made, and I understand talking about it after after a game saying, hey, if you guys want to play together, we need to stir things up. But in a game you're up one nothing, where the team's playing well, and that line is particularly rolling, we're going to all from the get-go. We're, we're creating chances to start scoring. I don't think that was the right time. And again, it's a move that if it works out, no one's talking about. Unfortunately for the Islanders, for Lambert, for Barzal, you know, that move didn't work out and they end up losing that game. Now, I, I want to just preface all of this. You know, when Phil and I did this podcast with BD last year and the year before that, it was maybe it was pretty sporadic and it was maybe only once every two, three weeks. And I feel like a lot of our reactions then were based after, you know, eight, ten game sample sizes. Um, keep in mind that our reactions here, uh, we are very reactionary because we're having these takes after two games and those sample sizes are ridiculously small. Um, so, and I understand that we're emotional. We're all fans and Hey, we win a game. We're we're going to the Stanley cup. We lose a game. We suck. Everybody should be fired. Lose awful. Lane needs to be fired. What is going on here? This is awful. Um, so do 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 understand that these takes from a week to week case are are reactionary. Last week we were talking about Wallstrom probably shouldn't be in the lineup. I, I actually think he played pretty well the last two games. Uh, last game not not so much, but I think the line change was there. My two biggest concerns, and I'll throw this to both of you guys when I look at this team, are the defense, and I think we're one defenseman away. Uh, Noah Hannafin. Noah Hannafin. Well, we'll get to that later. Um, and maybe. Uh, in coaching, I was concerned about the coaching last year, but I thought, okay, hey, it was Lane's first year. Uh, he's trying to get out from under Barry Trott's shadow, had to learn a little bit. Maybe he went too far away because he wanted to get away from that shadow. And by the end of the season, he had learned a lot. And I was kind of optimistic that maybe going into his second season, he would be his own coach and he had learned a lot. But I'm really concerned because something I saw the first season was almost like a lack of self-conviction, maybe lack of confidence. Like, you spend all, all off-season thinking about what the line should be, right? You know your personnel. And then, like, a game or two into it, you're like, ah, that doesn't work. I got to throw everything at That doesn't – and he did that last year too. Uh, and I just don't – that to me is a little bit concerning. I'm like, have some conviction in all the work you did in the off-season. Stick with the lines. Like, give them a friggin' 10-game sample. Let them go. Let them work together. Stop being so reactionary as a coach. We're the fans. We're supposed to be reactionary. You're a coach. You're not supposed to be. Uh, I'll uh, Phil, you first. Yeah. Listen, on the coaching front, there's really there's really nothing you could do to change anything because barring some unforeseen event where all of a sudden Mike Sullivan becomes available because the Penguins decide that they're through with him by Thanksgiving, they're really, who are you going to hire, right? You fire Lane. Do you want John McClain? the power play coach to become the interim head coach? Probably not. Doug Huda. I mean, I don't think so. Are you going to elevate the first year Bridgeport head coach to become the head coach of the Islanders? So for better or for worse, Lane is going to be the guy on the defense. I am curious to see how things look with Mayfield. We only got a one game look at how those three pairs are, uh, which is in the first game of the season against Buffalo. I thought they were fine. Bolduc, I looked this up yesterday because he's been getting ridiculously low minutes in terms of all defensemen who have played at least 20 minutes this year in the NHL. He's played the least minutes per game out of all of them. So it's really been a situation where they've been rolling two pairs and giving guys like Pollock, Dobson, uh, Pellick 25 plus minutes a night, 
Romanov the other night, I know, played 23 minutes. So the top four is really getting a workout. They haven't been going to that pair of Bulldog and Ajo really a lot at all. It's been, you know, in spots. And uh, for the most part, uh, that's probably a good idea because they, they did not look too good the other night. I want to see how things look with Mayfield. I do think that adding a defenseman to replace Ajo at the trade deadline is probably something that they should be looking at. If Calgary is going to be open for business soon with pieces like Hannafin or even Zadorov, obviously that's something that we can look into. And and Lou is known for wanting to make moves that kind of solidify the roster and plug holes at the trade deadline. And that's something that I wouldn't rule out. Uh, but for now, I know Steph tweeted earlier today with uh, the line combinations that Mayfield was rotating in more today than he was previously. And it looks like there's at least a chance that he might get into the lineup tomorrow night in Washington. Yeah. Um, Mayfield, the first half of the state rotated in, but the second half of the state, it was him and Ajo stapled together. We asked Lambert, Mayfield will travel. As for if he'll play tomorrow, um, Thursday night, we don't know yet. We'll find out tomorrow. But, I mean, if he's making the trip and he got to play with Ajo for a lot of that game, I would definitely say he's a game-time decision right now, and I wouldn't be shocked if he does get in. But like you said, Phil, I mean – Bolduc's not playing a lot, and it's putting a lot of stress on probably everybody else. Then you count in that Mayfield's not there for the penalty kill. You have Dobson playing extra minutes on the kill. You have other guys stepping up. So I think um, Mayfield being back should certainly help things. But again, he didn't look great on the ice in terms of the way he was moving. He looked very – he was moving gingerly. So I don't know if they want to force it. Again, we don't know what the injury was. We know it's lower body, ankle, after he blocked that shot in the first game off of Darlene Slapper. Our guess is that it's a bone contusion. Like he had a broken leg, a broken foot. He's not skating. So I think it's just a bone bruise. And all that you can do with that is just wait and have, you know, pain management. So I think right now that's what Mayfield's dealing with. But, yeah, it's a bright spot if you get into the lineup. By the way, I, I don't know how NHL players do it because, you know, I, I, I play men's leagues. I play college hockey. Um, if, if I take a hard pass on my foot, I'm down. I'm out. Like, if it's a hard pass on my toe, I'm like, ah! that hurt like these guys I don't get how they do it like it amazes me that more players aren't injured on a daily basis from shots <laughs> right Steph I mean yeah I mean one I think money I think money plays a part you know yeah. suck it up you're, you're getting <laughs> but also see these guys like it's adrenaline I mean Mayfield stayed in the game after that and finished and finished the game that's just adrenaline and maybe he thought it wasn't as bad as he wants I mean we see defensemen all the time stick their leg out to block the shot off the inside. I know he got this one on the outside. I think when he, a couple of years ago, when he took that Bramstrom shot, that was off the inside of his foot. So this guy's, I mean, he's a defenseman that plays on the penalty kill, big body. His job is to get in front of shots. So he does it pretty well. But yeah, we'll see, we'll see how long it takes him to get the full strength. Because if he does get into the lineup and he's limited, I mean, I think he'll take a limited Scott Mayfield and put Isle on his natural side rather than a limited uh, Boldy there in a couple of minutes. But yeah, pain tolerance is a crazy thing, man. We see it for hockey always in the playoffs. These right. guys, after the playoffs, have a broken leg, spleen destroyed, you know, all these Listen, pay things. me $2 million and I'll, I'll, I'll block yeah. a shot, okay? I'm not doing it in my men's league. Uh, maybe in the championship game, but that's about it. Okay, so speaking of reactionary, Phil, uh, I've got a game. I'm going to try to stick with it, uh, unlike the DEFCON 1-5 game, which was awful last week. We'll do better here. So what's reactionary? We're going to talk about what's real, uh, what's... Uh, uh, what's real, what's not, what we're undecided about, okay? And we'll talk about that with teams, too. So first off, let's go to Oliver Wallstrom, okay? Because um, we've seen uh, we've seen the good, we've seen the bad, um, and I'm not sure what to make of him. I'm sure not, I'm not really not sure what he is yet, because sometimes he looks good, and sometimes he looks completely lost out there. 
Um, Steph, we'll start with you. Uh, your take on Wallstrom, what you've seen so far through, I guess he's played, what, six games now? Five yeah, games. he's actually five games, and he was an extra at practice today as Hudson Fashion. Seems that he's going to draw back in against the Caps. And I think for Wallstrom, you know, last year was all about the two-way game for him. Without Trotz there and the way Trotz treated him, I think he, I think he worked better with Lambert. But, you know, he finally understood what Trotz was asking of him to play those those little finite details to his game in the defensive zone, especially he finally played a 200 foot game gets hurt, which was on pace for a career year up to that point. And now he's been working his way back from the injury, but against the Columbus Blue Jackets, I thought that wasn't just his best game of the year, obviously a small sample size, but I thought that was one of the best games of his career in terms of what he did defensively. I mean, he was making, there was one play in the defensive zone where he chipped the puck to himself, went around a defenseman and got it into the neutral zone and dumped it in. I mean, that's not a Wall Street play we ever see. Now, he's not there for his defensive plays there to score goals, but I think you've seen that he's going to be a two-way player. Now, though, the question is, is I, you know, I asked Lane, is if Wallstrom's not in, what do you want to see? He's like, I want to see him doing what he's been doing. That seems to be Lane's go-to response anytime a player is not. And he, and he also said that it's important that they have competition, where there are guys like Fassi and Godier, where Wallstrom might not just play because another guy earned it at that practice, whatever it may be. But I think for Wallstrom, it's whenever he gets that next chance, he just built a good foundation in terms of his two-way game. But if he gets into the lineup next game, he's got to find a way to hit the net because, again, if he is a true bottom six player, not a top six player, there are too many guys that play a bottom six role better. And if that's the case and we find out this year that Wilson can't be a top six guy, there's no real point in him being on the roster. Phil? Yeah, I agree with Stefan. And, and listen, to the point of the competition that they have, he did play well versus Columbus, although – Somehow he only managed, I think, one shot on goal that game because he missed the net on a couple of really prime opportunities. There was one on a rush chance where Pajot really put it on a silver platter for him and it just went wide. I I was hoping when you consider that, okay, Fashing started the year for the first three games, Wallstrom drew in. You know that this guy Fashing was really good last year. He's someone who essentially stole a spot from a tenored guy in Josh Bailey and played throughout the playoffs and for most of the season played well. You... I would have wanted to see not necessarily, you know, production, but I at least be more dangerous, be more of a factor, right? Show me the urgency that it's there, that you know that there are guys behind you that are that would love nothing more than to steal the spot back for, from from you, and and now he's in a situation where if if and we lost you there, Phil. I got to tell you, if I thought we were going to have internet issues, I thought it would be you, not Steph. Uh, I thought it would be Steph, not you. Steph's on a train. Phil's at home. So, uh, Phil, you back there? I'm I'm back. Did I cut out? You cut out. Yeah, you were talking about uh, production. Yeah, I you know I don't know where where I lost you, but I it's not necessarily about production for me. I I just wanted to see oh urgency. Be, Sorry, urgency about like you know urgency. fighting for the spot. Right. I wanted to see him be more dangerous. Um, yeah. And and now with fashion obviously coming back in there's no guarantee as to when wallstrom will be back in i'm actually really excited because i thought in the first podcast i mentioned that i did not think fashion was particularly good the first two games um and i I think you know fashion played last year like a man playing for his career i think he realized he's like this is my last chance and he played for it and he looked like it he looked like a, a hungry dog who was like this is my last meal and i'm really intrigued to see you know, he was given the role the first couple of games. He wasn't particularly great. Wallstrom was in there. And I think, you know, if I'm fashing, I'm going, well, hey, they've got options. And I don't want to give this up again. I want to make sure that they know I, I cannot be taken out of this lineup. Steph, what do you think? 
Yeah, so I spoke to Fashion today about, you know, what does he want to do better watching film from the first couple of games? And he said that he didn't think he was, you know, looking back, he didn't think he was forechecking hard enough. He wasn't, you know, being harder on the puck, and he thinks that he's got to find a way to contribute offensively because when I spoke to him a couple of games ago when he came out of the lineup, I said, you know, what did you, did you think you were playing well? Like, and he said, you know what? He thought he was overplaying a bit because the first couple of games he, he said his line was pinned in the D zone a lot. And he thought, okay, when I get a chance to be offensive, I got to try to creep because, you know, we just lost 30, 25, 30 seconds. And he goes, and while I was doing that, I was making plays. That, I wasn't making the smart plays. I was trying to push for offense where I should have made the dump move. I should have done that. And asking Lambert, Lambert said that he had more to give. You know, he, he knows there's more. We all know there's more. We saw fashion last year. Now, fashion is 100% healthy, but you don't just lose that spark that he's had pretty much ever he's been, especially last year. So I think that that injury they had, I don't know what it was. It was undisclosed, but I think it has played a part in terms of how fast he's getting up to speed, how how quick he is and all the things that he's doing so well last year. So I think for fashion, of course, this is a prime opportunity for him to do what he did last year. Go in there and force Lance to in the lineup. And I think that's what he's going to do because, like you said, this is a guy that even when he signed his contract, when I spoke to him, he, at least he goes, it's great that I got a contract, but I got to find a way to stay in this lineup. So I think you'll see a, a much stronger fashion if he gets in tomorrow. I'm actually really excited to see the Peugeot-Holmstrom fashing line. I mean, I think if we get last yeah. year's fashing with Holmstrom's growth, um, and his defensive prowess, but also some offensive skill there with Pajot just being Pajot. Uh, I am really excited to see that third line. I think uh, we can go from what was probably one of the worst third lines in the league the first couple of games of the season with Anders Lee and, and Fashing on it to I think one of the better third lines in the league. Uh, we already know what we're getting from the perfection line uh, in the second line, which is just we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But that that's unreal. Um, so I'm kind of excited about that. I, I do want to bring up Barzal. Uh, it's been a mixed bag this year, and I have said this many times. I am one of the biggest Barzal fans out there. I've got a cat named Barzal. That said, um, I'm honest, and I'm trying to be realistic. I, I think he's up and down. Um, I thought he was actually quite good last game. I thought him starting to create again. He went to the net a couple of times. Uh, he set up He set up Pollock uh, for a great play, and then you know Pollock, instead of just shooting it, gave it back. I don't know. I, like, to me, I'm like, listen, that's a great play. If that's Barzal set up for the one-timer, and it's – Horvat on the one time on the one timer, but to me it's like uh, Ryan, you're in the game. Just just unleash that. Um, but I, I thought Barzal was much better last game. I was actually surprised. I wasn't surprised two games ago that they switched things up because I thought they were bad. But last game I was really surprised because I thought Barzal was quite good. But it has been a mixed bag this this year for Barzal. He's it almost appears like in some games he lacks the explosiveness that he's had in years past. Um, Steph, and then we'll go to Phil on that. Yeah, so I, I think, like you said, it is, has been a mixed bag. I think things change if he buries one or two more opportunities. Like we saw, you know, who's so robbing him if he gets that puck above the pads. That's, that's a goal there, and that's a huge goal for the Islanders, really. I haven't loved his back-checking. I think he's been a little lackadaisical. I don't want to call lackadaisical because I know he's hard, trying hard, and I spoke to him. I don't know if you guys saw I did a piece because two of the goals, I was curious as to what he was thinking. The one, uh, the Sprong goal, for sure, that Sprong goal where – uh, Bolduc steps, bad step by Bolduc. Aho gets walked, and Barzal seemed like he could get there, and he just hesitated or, or didn't look like he was in the play. And I spoke to him about that one, and he said he's got to stay high and he's a hit the high guy. It's a lose lose for Barzal there. He's got to trust the defense to make a play. It didn't happen on the overtime goal too. I asked, I said, you know, Horvat, the puck gets turned over. It seemed like you're hovering around the blue line, and then like you could get back, decided not to, then got back. Like what were you thinking? So checked it out. It's over at the Hawkins. I just think. I think he's worrying a little too much in terms of his defense zone play. This is a guy that could strip pucks and make plays, and he got the problem wasn't that he didn't get back, because he did. 
it was that he didn't make that extra push to make that play that could have saved the game against Detroit. And that's not Barzal last. Barzal usually is a guy that if he gets back, he gets back and makes the play. So I think maybe playing with Horvat, in a sense, he's maybe thinking too much on, well, Horvat should be back. Horvat wasn't. What am I doing? I think I think a lot of the line changes are affecting his thinking in terms of just defensive play. Because again, before when he was a center, he's deep in the D zone. And now it's different. So I think, again, the line changes too where oh, I'm not playing with Horford anymore. I got to get back, things like that. So I, I don't think the line dreams are helping him. And I, I just think for him, it's he's still trying to figure out a way to, he's got to show a shot more. And I think that's an important thing that he has to do a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I in his defense, by the way, and like I said, I, I feel like it's been mixed bag and I want to bring in Phil. I, I thought like the strong goal, to me, like if he's playing wing and he's not playing center, then I, I like that move because I feel like he's more dangerous up high if there's a loose For puck, sure. if the de- the defense, the opposing defense has to be a little bit jittery because they know if they mishandle it, it's gone. He's got a breakaway. Um, I I think you know when you're back checking, you've got to find the next dangerous player, and and frankly, like you know, Aho and 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 Bolduc, they they can't back their ass into the goalie's face. They've got to make a play. And I, I in Barzal's defense, I do think that you've got to trust your defense. It's kind of like a Bill yeah. Bel- Belichick, like do your job. Um, and take your player. I got to take the guy because if I go in there, he can just drop it to the third guy, the high guy. Um, you know, in in the overtime goal, obviously, you know, I know Horvat took blame for it. I don't think it was his fault, but at the same time, yeah, Barzal's probably looking at that. Wow, Horvat's going to get it out. I'm going to get. We're going to get a two on one. Obviously, it didn't work out. Um, all that said, I, I do think Barzal needs to be better. Uh, Phil, I, I know you're not as optimistic about Mr. Barzal as I am. Uh, your thoughts. No, not, nothing to do with optimism. I, I'm optimistic in that Barzell is a very good player and that I think similar to last year, I wouldn't say he had a slow start because he was setting up a lot of plays and he had a lot of assists. He didn't get his first goal until I think game 18 or game 19 against the Dallas Stars where he had two. He's not going to shoot 3% forever. And and the good thing that he's doing is he's shooting the puck a lot. It's just he's had some real prime chances Um that that could have been game changers. Uh, for instance, in in the opening sequence, the one that Stefan just talked about, puck on a rebound on a really nice Horvat one timer just drops right in front of the net for him, and he just can't lift it. He shoots it right into Huso. Right, that's a puck you need to elevate, and that's on your forehand right there, right on the the to the right of the goalie on his strong side. Uh, there was another one almost identical to it against Colorado, where he had Georgiev down, and had he scored there it would have made that game four to two and you probably at least get a point in that one. And he just completely lifted that thing out of the arena. So, you know, there's, there's an element of, of bad shooting luck at play. Like we saw with Horvat toward the end of last year where he shot 3% for a month. Well, we just had a month where Barzal shot 3% and that's obviously not going to continue for the rest of the year. The volume is there. Uh, I, I will agree with, with Stefan. I think that a lot has to do with the line changes, and that could be confusing things defensively because he hasn't been great defensively this year, and I thought he was a lot better in that area last year. So that, in in a certain sense, is on coaching and making sure that they're putting him in a position, right? You've got a guy who, who changed position, and now you're constantly flipping him from line to line, right? The, the back check goal that we're talking about over here with Sprung, that was on a line with Pajot and Holmstrom, I want to say. Right. So, I mean, maybe you have a confused assignment over there because that that's a change that happens mid game. And is, is he the center? Is Pajot the center? Um, they need consistency. I I really liked what I saw from him, Horvat and Lee early on in that game the other night. I know the three of them are not great defensively, but if if their shooting luck ticks up even 
by a couple percentage points, they're going to start creating a lot of goals together. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm actually, like I said, I mean, listen, Anders Lee, we can bring him up as well. I, I think he's a problem, but I think he's actually okay with Horvat and Barzal. Um, uh, Steph, your take on the first line? Yeah, I think Lee's definitely been better. I think early in preseason, you saw actually a strong connection between him and Pazzo, and you thought, wow, this could, this could work. You know, Lee maybe is not the best defensive forward, but if he does little things and maybe simplifies his game, he could be fine winning board battles. And it just it didn't work. And I think back on the top line now, he is making his game simpler. I think the still issue remains is that you want Lee winning battles in the corner, you want him being a net front. Well, the problem is, depending on how fast the puck gets back to the point, Lee doesn't seem to have the speed to get to the front. And then you're having, he made a great play in the corner, but if he's not getting in front of the goal to screen, then that's a chance that goes by the boards. And I think there's been rebound chances in front. We saw it last game that he just he just fails to bury. I'm not saying that's his fault every time that the goalie's being aggressive, things like that. But I think if you want to call it a problem, hiding him on the top line isn't the wrong thing because the whole point is to balance out that lineup. Like you said, Tuck, is you want to see how this third line plays with Holmstrom, Pazzo, and Fashing. top line and to balance out the entire lineup that's i think where the best spot is for lee he's not going to play on the fourth line you're not separating that second line so lee as your as your left wing uh top line left winger makes sense now in my opinion is if barzal is so much more comfortable on the left and you just want lee to be a guy that crests the net put lee on the right it doesn't matter where lee's playing if if you don't want to play the really the left wing or you want to play more of like a a net front guy then swap him barzal is so much more comfortable on the left use that to your advantage that's what i would do yeah, and I get it. By the way, I mean, I, I as a, you know, you play hockey. Uh, if you're not familiar with the game, a lot of wingers, a lot of forwards are very comfortable playing on their off wing. Some prefer playing on their strong side. Some like like playing their offside. I always, when I was a kid, I was always taught to play on my offside because you naturally, if I'm a left shot and I'm skating on the right wing, my stick is in the center, so I have a better angle for my shots, and I can also make a strong move on the backhand. And use you know use your your offhand to block off, and that's what a lot of that's why a lot of players like to be on their off wing. Um, they're it's also better for one timers as well. Um, some players are really uncomfortable receiving passes on their backhand, and they would rather be on the strong side. Uh, it, it's really a personal thing. Um, yeah, in, that's in what Barzal Barzal said is in terms of he, he he feels so much more comfortable crossing over the blue line on his backhand to get around players and then make a play towards goal. Oh, and he said also, too, with what he does and his circling back to go back to the point, much harder to do that on the back end where you could just turn around. So, yeah, I think for Barzal, he just looks so much more confident on the left. And, again, like you said, not even the one-timer, but if he's getting on a two-on-one, now he's got a shot with his forehand towards the slot rather than on his back end. So I think, again, Barzal being on the left is, is a better move for him, but Lane's going to do what's best for the team, and right now that's having him on the right. Phil, how concerned are you about uh, Anders Lee um... – you know he's still got you know he's still got a couple of years left on the seven million dollar contract. Uh, we can talk about the contract all we want, but at the end of the day, we've got Andrews Lee. Obviously, he's not fleet of foot in an NHL game that's got a lot gotten a lot faster. Um, he's still a captain. He's still effective. He's coming up back to back twenty eight goal seasons. Although right now he's on pace for ten goals this season. Yeah, I'm concerned to a, to a certain degree, right? I think he loses a lot of his utility when you take him off of the power play one. Yeah, um, a lot has to do with the fact that it seemed that he lost some of his. Uh, hand-eye coordination and an ability to tip pucks and bang in rebounds late in the season last year. And Paul Mary, who already has three power play points is clearly the better fit on, on that top unit. So you're definitely going to lose a lot of his power play production just by virtue of him being on the second unit, which gets less time, not as much talent on that unit as well. 
if he doesn't work with Horvat and Barzell this season, it's, it's going to be a problem. And I, I don't know how you necessarily fix that, right? We talked in our last time we met, or maybe two times ago, about you know Parise, and is there a possibility he comes back? And and if he wants to come back, Lou's obviously going to sign him, right? At, at this point, I mean, you could be looking at a scenario where, well, whose lineup spot is he taking? And you don't want to sit Holmstrom if he's playing well. And... You know, you know, between Fashing and Wallstrom, you know, odds are one of those guys are going to secure a spot as a right winger, right? Is is there a scenario where uh, a guy like Parisi comes back in and pushes Lee out of the lineup? I mean, he did it to Josh Bailey last year. It's, uh, I guess it's different doing it to the captain, but we will see. Steph, is there ever a scenario? I mean, obviously, you know, we saw Lane is not afraid to bench a veteran. Uh, if a younger player, even a you know player like you know we saw that last year with Bailey, um, is, is there a scenario where you could see, um, maybe not this season, but maybe as early as next season, Anders Lee be being bought out? Yeah, I definitely would say not this year. I just don't see that happening. But for sure, depending on how this season goes and, and how bad Lee looks and where he fits, because again, if they do sign Parise this year, that probably means he's probably not. Gonna- going to play again and after this year. I mean, maybe he does, but I would think this would be the last year for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, this is, a, this is a league that keeps getting younger and faster. And if you have older guys that can't keep up to the, the speed, it doesn't matter how well you play in the playoffs in that more physical, slower game. You got to play regular season hockey to get to the playoffs. And if Lee can't do what he's being paid to do, it's a tough move. Obviously, it's a captain that wanted to be here and re-signed here long-term. And it would be a tough pill to swallow for the Islanders to want to do that. I think they'd obviously try to avoid that at all costs and see if they could fit him in on a third line or, or see things can happen like that. But I guess you can't really rule anything out. It also depends who the GM is after this year as well. Okay, really quickly, we'll go through a couple of things here. So uh, the second line, is it as good as advertised? I mean, is this is – because this, right now, I mean, Pierre Engvall looks like the absolute steal of the last five years. This contract just looks absolutely amazing. Kyle Palmieri, as long as he can stay healthy, fantastic. Brock Nelson at $6 million. I mean, you keep talking about the top line being the Horvat line, and I know conventionally that is, but not only is our top line the Nelson line, it's one of the top lines in the NHL. Period. Uh, are we? Are they that? Are they this good? And will it continue? First, oh, sorry. I'll butt in first just because I'm probably going to lose you guys in the tunnel in about okay. two minutes, and then I'll say goodbye. But I think they've been better than advertised. You said it. Engvall has four assists on the year, I think. But it doesn't matter what he's doing. His ability to get up the ice in transition and also use his stick. Everyone complains he does not physical. It doesn't have to be physical because he wins four battles with his sticks and makes those quick plays. And that changes everything for Nelson. Again, a couple of years ago, Nelson's carrying this offense. But I think the bigger, I mean, not bigger importance, but a healthy Kyle Palmieri is an incredible player for what the Islanders need him to do. He's one of their better defensive forwards. He doesn't get credit for that. I know me and Phil have talked about that. He doesn't get credit for that. He's probably their best long-distance shooter, maybe outside of Clutterbuck, because Clutterbuck doesn't get credit for that. And just with that line, when everyone's running, I mean, having Palmieri take away time and space, allowing Nelson to shoot more, because, again, we saw it on the first goal of the year for Nelson where Engvall won that board battle and passed it to Nelson. The fact that Palmieri opened himself up to be a pass option there allowed Nelson so much more time and space to get that shot up. Not that he needs time or space, but having Palmieri there is another weapon. And then when Nelson has to pass the puck, I mean, Palmieri's been on fire to start this year, and he's finally playing up to his deal. So I think this line's been better than our guys. I think this line is your Islanders' top line, and it's a top-10 line analytically in the league. And I can see it being a top-5, 6-1 in the league. I love it. Steph, before we say goodbye to you, I know we're going to lose you in a second. What are you looking forward to? I mean, uh, what do you want to see over the next couple of games? 
Yeah, well, I want I want to see Fashion take the reins at home with it. Again, he was such a spark plug last year that you don't just lose that. And I don't think – I don't see Fashion as ever a guy that's ever cut corners. I mean, it took him what? So he was 28, 27 to actually get a chance and run with it. So I, he's always been a hard worker. And it's just – you want to see guys like that. And, uh, and... A couple of goals here over the next couple of games. But... You lost me? We're losing you. We're losing you. It's okay though. Uh, that is at that he can follow Steph at Stefan Rosner uh, at Stefan underscore Rosner. Uh, he is the Islanders beat reporter for NHL.com and the Hockey News. He does an amazing job, and we are uh, as Islander fans, we are truly lucky to have him uh, helping us out and reporting um, everything about the Islanders going forward. Hey, Steph, thanks so much, buddy. No, appreciate it, guys. Talk soon. Later. Okay, Phil. We'll uh, wrap this up. What are your, 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 I know you've been on this second-line bandwagon since last year. I mean, they were amazing at the end of the year last year. They've been amazing this year. Um, a lot of people looked at the Pierre Engvall signing, and they were like, seven years! And then you realize, you go, oh, wait a second. We got an absolute steal. I mean, this is a... It's funny. Lou gets so much heat for some of the bad contracts, and all of his contracts aren't great. But the Kyle Palmieri contract, the Brock Nelson contract, the Pierre Engvall contract, that entire second line is probably at a 40% discount. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and it's funny. People people will always find something to complain about with anyone. So, like, I saw someone who's like, well, he only has six shots in eight games. And you know what my answer to that is? My answer is I don't care, right? There's, <laughs> there's one thing I'm looking for from that second line as a unit. Number one, so through 21 games, dating back to last year, I'm not including playoffs, they are outscoring their opponents 21 to six. I don't expect that three quarter goal share margin to keep up, but if they get anywhere remotely close to that, that's, that's really what you're looking for. You want them to dominate. And every single time they're out on the ice, they're dominating, they're creating chances. So, so long as that's happening. And when you consider that Engvall is playing with probably the two, the team's two best shooters, right. And just in terms of pure shooting ability at five on five um, in Nelson and Palmieri, if he finishes the season, he's got four assists now, right? Right, All at five on five. If he finishes the season with 40 assists at five on five and eight goals for 48 points, I don't care. Let the other two guys do all the goal scoring. I'm right. Totally do we, fine do we care who scores as long as they're dominating? I don't care, right? I mean, they've it's, been in eight games, by the way. I want to say so eight games, 24 periods. I feel like they have been amazing, like 20 of the 24 periods. There was one game that we weren't very good in. Against Colorado. Right. Against Colorado. By the way, I think, Colorado I think everyone good. had a tough time. Yeah, Colorado is very good. I think everyone had a tough time that game. But yeah, I mean, seven out of eight games, they've been really good. Keep that line together. They feed off each other well. They know where, where the next guy is going to be. Uh, you know, they're shooting a lot. They're, they've got six goals on the season. They're a handful. Right? Imagine playing a team that's like, you got, you, got, you got just the size and the reach of Brock Nelson and, and Pierre Engvall. And the size and, and the reach of Engvall, right? And I mean, the speed. Well, you have the size and the reach and the speed. And then you've got the tenacity of Kyle Palmieri, who's just a hockey player. I remember when he was playing in New Jersey, yeah. I was just that guy's just a hockey player. Yeah, I saw Jay Fresh. But if, he, if only he, we had Jordan Eberle in his one goal this season. <laughs> I wish we I had him saw this. <laughs> the, the NHL has, has started, they, they built their own analytics website where they track all different kinds of player data. Yeah. So one of, one of the data points, and Jay Fresh has been just aggregating this data. I think he's been doing it manually and just inserting it into... You know his his uh, aesthetically pleasing stretch spreadsheets, but uh, the one he posted today was speed bursts above twenty miles per hour per sixty uh, for all four. Okay, I haven't for... seen it, but I'm assuming Engvall has to be in the top twenty, right? Yeah, so Engvall is fourteen. 
Wow. Right? Barzell top and 20 as well. Barzell is number 24. Okay. So there you go. Right. So this is just to give you an idea as to like how fast he is. He's, he's up there with, you know, the fastest in the league. There's a couple other Islanders who and Lou stole him. Yes. He stole him. Pick. He stole like, like in a league that's getting faster. Lou stole one of the fastest guys in the NHL who is big and can play on a second line. Uh, I'm just I just out of curiosity, is Josh Bailey on that list or Eberle so on that if, list? So if I'm looking at the top hundred, no. If I'm looking at the top hundred, Sezikis is at 42, which is not surprising. We all. He's been, by the way, I wanted to bring up the fourth line. The fourth line has been has fine. Been fi- exact for a fourth line, they've been fine. Yeah, I mean that goal by Sezikis where he just turns on the Jets, and I know that's a shorthanded situation, but he is fast. He is very fast. Horvat too, burners. by the way. The same game. Did you see Horvat's Horvat burst is of speed? Horvat is eighty nine, right? Okay, yes. I was gonna, Horvat's remember 89. Horvat's burst of speed where he went on the right side, on the right wing, and he cut Tanked it, and it. he and he just barely. No, but he made a nice yeah. little play. He was cutting left, and he just barely missed. That was a beautiful play by him. Yeah, yeah, and we've seen that from him before. He's he's definitely got speed. If I go over here to the bottom forwards that are listed that meet the criteria here, so number three hundred and twenty one. <laughs> Is Oliver Wallstrom? Okay, he's not, he's not fast. He's not fast. You've got Lee at three forty-five, Martin at three thirty-six, Clutterbuck at three thirty-three. That's a little bit surprising. You would have thought that Clutterbuck at times looks faster than he is. Josh, I Bailey. think I'd say Clutterbuck. The thing that Clutterbuck had going for him a little it was the obviously the physicality, but I would say that he was quicker than fast in his sure. prime. And the problem with him now is that he was never fast, and now he's starting to lose that quick twitch. He's starting to lose the quickness a little bit, which I think is making him ineffective on the penalty kill. I, I, I yeah, I, I. It's one of the reasons why I, we both think I think Clutterbuck is, you know, clearly his best days are behind him. But I, I think he has to be kept on a short leash. Um, you know, we've been making changes in that third line, but I think Fashing fights his way in there, and and uh, you know, at some point if Parisi does come back, I'd love to see Fashing go to the fourth line and Parisi slop to the third line. But we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, and you asked about Bailey. Bailey ranked 377 out of 382 eligible skaters. 377 so out of 382. That's not, that's not fast. That's not fast, no. That's not fast. That's so not in a fast. league, so I mean, I, I like listen, we've gotten faster. Lou's done a good job there, but obviously there's more work to be done. Um, let's talk about, like, the fourth line. It's, it's been good. Let's talk about the rest of the NHL, and then we'll uh, we'll put a bow on this, baby. Um, we're going to play the same game. Who's for real? Who's not? Who's, who's pretenders? Who's contenders? The Boston Bruins are, um, once again, back-to-back years, just coming out of the gate like, okay, we're ready to go. And, and I think the Bruins, if anything, they're being fueled by the, hey, uh, they're done. They're old. We lost Patrice Bergeron. We lost Krejci. Uh, they can't get it done. And they're just, you know, at a, a simple 944 point percentage, they've got a 17 out of a possible 18 points right now. Yeah, so the Bruins, they're not scoring a ton, which when you lose, you know, three of your top six forwards, that's going to happen. But they've only allowed more than two goals once. They've allowed 14 right? so goals in nine games, dude. It's crazy. Yeah, Olmark, <laughs> right? Everyone's like, yeah, he had a 938 last year, but that was a one-year thing. And it might be a one-year thing, but he has a 939 right now. And Swayman, right. I haven't looked it up, but he's he's probably right there too. So their defense and their goaltending, which is the backbone of their team now, is still really, really good. Yeah. And, and they brought in Lindholm, soft schedule they, they, or not Charlie soft McAvoy. Schedule. They've got a great defense. Yeah, great defense, great goaltending, and they have been able to keep teams to two goals or less in eight of their nine games. That is a winning formula. That's that's how you'd like to see the Islanders win too, right? I think 
Sorokin being a 9-10 right now is a bit surprising to some. Um, he's been under siege a lot of these games, uh, but but we know that Sorokin can can be better. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I mean, one of the goals versus Detroit was a little bit soft, obviously, the uh, second goal from the point. But... I thought the first goal also. The first goal, he kind of backed himself into his net and made himself really small. Oh, I mean, well, a the, lot the, of space to shoot. I don't know what Ajo and Bolduc were doing. Like if you're going to get beat, get beat at like get beat at the blue line, get beat at the top of the circle. Where are Give you your goalie a better chance, right? I, I, listen, I coach a 10U team, okay? And I always tell my defenseman, I'm like, stop backing your ass into the goalie's face. Like you got to listen, if you get beat, but you can't let you can't back your, you can't back in there. You yeah, just can't just get out of the way. I, yeah, get, let them shoot the puck. Uh which brings me to Detroit Red Wings. Um you know, maybe we gift them a point, but hey, they got it. After 10 games, you know, they're 6-3 and 1. Um, you know, but the thing that's impressive, they are plus nine goal differential. I'm not buying it. Okay, I am not buying it. Not buying Detroit. Montreal, five, two, and two. Not buying it. Okay. Tampa Bay, four, two, and three without Vass. I th- listen, uh, Johansson, I think is two shutouts. He's been better than expected because he's a really bad goaltender. If, if Vasilevsky comes back and can play and play well, they'll be in the playoffs again. No question about it. Uh, how if you're if you're Buffalo and you thought this is our year this is our year and now you look up and you go you're four and five you got eight points you're on pace for under eighty points now I didn't think it was Buffalo's year so I I'm going to stay consistent with my original line of thinking which is that in a year where they had career years from everyone right who thought that Tage Thompson was going to go from ninety six points to ninety six or better not me I mean that's a lot of points right and you had Tuck with a career year you had Skinner with a career year and even with all that. They didn't make improvements to their defense in any material way. I just don't see them threatening to do anything dangerous this year. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the Metropolitan, which is, you know, you got the Rangers, you got the Hurricanes, you got the Devils all at the top. Um, you know, the Rangers, after starting the season off 2-2, two and two, have reeled off five straight, are now plus 10 goal mm-hmm. differential. A lot of this on the road. Very um, impressive road, road trip. Yeah. Listen, they're, they're stars. I mean, and they're 6-1. They're 6-1 and one, they're six and one away from MSJ. Yeah, what's what, what's working for them is their stars, right? Panarin. By the way, Lafreniere, he's got what four goals now. Yeah, but he's only got twelve shots on goal. Okay, but listen, he's getting him in the. I mean, I mean say what you he's, will. Uh, I don't think he's been playing particularly well. Okay, if he shoots thirty three percent, then fine. He's got four goals, no assists. And Okako's got a goal and assist. They have a Blake Wheeler problem. He looks terrible. I think their defensive structure under Laviolette has been predictably much better than it was under Gallant. Lavi's a good coach. Like, He's a good coach. Their goaltending has been really good. Jonathan Quick has played two games and has played well, which is something that uh, Jonathan Quick might need. win. The, he might win the Vezina. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but Shesterkin <laughs> has obviously been good. Their power play's been good, not creating a ton of chances at five on five, but they have been suppressing chances more than they have in years past. And their power play is still elite, which is is you know elite power play with an elite goaltender, and you could win a lot of games and. A couple of those are come-from-behind wins. It was a come-from-behind win against Vancouver, a bit of a ref job, but they got it done, a come-from-behind win against Winnipeg. Uh, so the early results, if you're a Rangers fan, you've you got to be thrilled. Yeah, um, I mean, listen, so you look at the East, by the way, the Atlantic, we've got some surprises so far, and I think that'll work itself out. The Metro, by the way, is pretty much to what I thought. you got the Rangers, yes. you got the Hurricanes, you got the Devils, you got the Islanders, all on 100-point paces. you yep. got the Capitals, who are not very good. you got the Flyers, who are not very good. you got the Blue Jackets, who are not very good. And then, whoa. You brought up Mike Sullivan, the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Pittsburgh Penguins. They're not this bad. They're no, not this bad. No, this bad would be like first pick overall bad. I mean, yeah, they have six points in nine games. They're on pace right now for under 60 points. That They're not that bad, no. But 
at some point, I mean, if you are Kyle Dubas and you now have job security, remember most GMs panic because they don't have jobs. Kyle Dubas has got job security there. Does he look at it and go, listen, no, we're not this bad, but we're also not a Stanley Cup team. And yes, I know I brought in Eric Carlson and I know I got Sidney Crosby. I know I got Malkin, but we're just not, we're not a Stanley Cup contender. At some point, they just go, listen, I gotta, I, I, I've got I've to rebuild. I don't know that you can rebuild it. They have contracts that are, listen, they're not trading Crosby, Malkin, Latang. Latang obviously has five more years left on his deal, including this one. Just no, one's take, no one's taken Carlson, right? Malkin, they also recently signed. They recently signed Brian Rust. He's got six years, including this one. They what recently they do? signed. So what do they do? I mean, what do you, if you're Kyle Dubas, what do you do? I don't know what you do. It's a great I mean, question. it's funny. The, the Pittsburgh. Ricard Raquel, too, by the way. Ricard by Raquel the way, the Pittsburgh Penguins are what? Islander fans were worried Lou was doing to the team. They are what, like, BD was worried. What The rest of the Islander fans are worried. They're like, we're just going to be this old, slow team filled with ton, tons of terrible contracts. No, that's the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'll tell you this, though. If they are long gone by the trade deadline and they are selling, I would love Riley Smith on our top line. Oh, Riley, he's such a... He's such. He's a. He's a gamer. He's a playoff performer. He's. He would be a really nice piece to pick you, up. You look at the uh, at the West. Uh, I don't see anything that's really all that crazy. Uh, Arizona's a little bit better than people thought, and I, I expected that. Um, you know, uh, Vegas is obviously they haven't lost. They haven't lost a regular season game yet. Uh, Vancouver is surprisingly doing great. I mean, not only are they six two and one after nine games, but they have a plus fifteen goal differential. Yeah, are you I buying mean, them? Elias, Elias, listen, I when I put out my on Twitter my my preseason predictions, I had Vancouver finishing as a wild card, so I I did have them as a playoff team because I had the Kraken falling. I don't think the Kraken are making the playoffs, and they haven't really played well this season. But yeah, it's it's funny how people thought the Kraken were they were terrible the first year. They made the playoffs last year. They you know they got completely outplayed by Colorado, but beat them in the playoffs, and everybody thought that was the jumping off point. And I was like, no, no to me this is actually more like remember Vancouver did well in the bubble. Yes. And then felt bad on their face. To me, this was more that situation. It was like it was a, an, it was a two step forward, one step back forward thing for me. It was, I think it was them in Buffalo. They just both had abnormally high shooting percentages last season, and that I didn't. I never thought that they had. Well, like, Seattle and Seattle since they played in the West made the playoffs. And sure. Buffalo playing in the East did not make the playoffs. That was right. the only difference, really. Um, I, I tend to agree. With you. Edmonton, you know, without Connor McDavid, they are terrible. Well, he's back now, and they won the game that he came back. They're going shocking. To be fine. They're going to be fine. They're, They're going to be fine. Um, the goaltending stinks. They they really could use a guy like Verlamov. <laughs> they really Not could. That Verlamov's going to get traded, or whether he would even agree to go to Edmonton. But their goaltending is bad. Yeah, and Edmonton uh, Edmonton is mired in the West. They'll be fine. They'll make the playoffs. They'll make the playoffs. They'll win at least a round. The question is, I mean, with McDavid, you got to start winning something at some point because he's going to be a free agent before you know it. Yeah, and, at some uh, point he will be. Uh, a team that's got to be a little bit concerned, and, and I brought up Noah, Noah Hannafin, I whispered his name, and, um, you know, the news right now, you know, they probably the most tumultuous team over the last couple of years with, uh, you know, with Tuchuk and, and, and Huberdeau and all these movements and, and the coaching that was yep. just insane, all that stuff. Uh, they bring in Kadri and they think, okay, well, we're going to try to, like, you know, we're going to try to patch up the Titanic, so to speak. And it has not worked. I mean, the, the Kadri signing has been a disaster. Disaster. Um, the Huberto signing, a disaster. 
Yep. Um, and, you know, this team is now 2-6-1 after nine games, minus 15 goal differential. They are, are currently on pace, by the way, to get about 45 points. I don't think they're this bad, but what... But they're not good. They're, they're not, not good. good, and here's the thing. So there was talk about... Just two weeks ago, I listened to, I think it was two weeks ago, I was listening to 32 Thoughts by the Elliot Friedman podcast, and they were talking about how, you know, Calgary was actually going to try to, like, you know, they were, they were, they were actually going to, they were pretty close to signing Hannafin, and then once mm-hmm. they signed Hannafin, their next one was going to be Lindholm, and they were going to keep their veterans. And they've done nothing but lose since, and now they're like, well, we're not signing anybody. We're going to hold yeah. off because we got to see what the hell we are at in two months. Um, yeah, I mean, I, hey, listen, Hannafin's an American. And the one common theme in Calgary is that the American Where's he from? Part, he's from Boston. Okay. So he's an East Coast kid. He's an East Coast kid. I think I'd love him as a fit for the Islanders. If you oh can my build God. Left, can you imagine? If you can build a can left you imagine side him of, instead of Ajo? And let's say then Ajo becomes our seven? Or you flip him in the trade to Calgary. Whatever you do, it doesn't really matter. Right, right, right. But we the only thing is that Hannafin's making 4.8. He's making um, 4.95. So okay. So we get 5 million. How do you clear that? It's not, it's not that hard. So you just accrue enough space, which by around like January time, you should have enough space where Calgary could eat half and the Islanders drop down to 22 players and he fits. Okay. It's not that difficult. Right, right, right. I, I, I can see that. Yeah, and, then, and listen, and then and then obviously with, with every Lou trade like that comes an extension and he's going to be 27 in January. So only, that's what I'm saying. Well, that, he's, he's actually, he is, listen, listen, you look at the Peugeot signing. You look at the Horvat trade and signing. Hannafin is a Lou guy in the sense of, hey, I don't like to trade real assets for somebody and then not sign them. And Hannafin is, you know, he's not 31, he's not 32. Um, he plays the left side. And then you suddenly look at this team and you go, okay, you got, you know, on the left side, you got Pelik, Romanov, Hannafin. Right yep. side, Pollock, you know, Dobson, and uh, Mayfield. And Mayfield. Uh, that's suddenly yeah, I mean, look at the strength the of what this team is. That's a really strong defense. What does Hannafin get? Hannafin's not an overly offensive guy, but you know, I think he had like 40, he had like what? 30, 38 points last year, 48 points the year before. Yeah. No, he, listen, he's going to contribute offensively, but he's not playing power play one for us or anything like that. I'm just wondering no. what is, what's his next contract? Is it, is it, is Lindholm a comparable? Is it six and a half million? I was going to say, I was going to say six and a half million like campus Lindholm. Okay. Seven years, six and a half million. Eight years if you have to, but I, I think something in that range is probably where he lands. I think the cost of acquisition might not necessarily. What do you give a, a one and a one and a couple of pros, a one and a couple of yeah, good prospects like that? Yeah, I would think so. And one I, and, I, listen, what would you it. trade? Just, what would you uh, okay? Ideal, realistic trade for Noah Hannafin. Give them a one. Give them their choice of whichever defensive prospect they want, and something else. Which prospect? Whichever like team they want, like an Odellius type, let them choose. I don't care. I'd rather not. Lose. I don't. I don't want to lose George. If they want Bolduc back, let them take Bolduc back. That was their pick. I if would happily Ish- give him Bolduc. If they want Ishkakov, if they want Ishkakov back, that was also their pick. Kind of like reverse some of the elements of that 2018 trade for uh, right, Noah right, Dobson. Right. I'd rather not. I'd back, rather not give up George. I, I'm really high on that kid. Yeah, I mean the thing with George, and again, this is this is a conversation for a later time, right? So then, if you have a left side of Pelik, Hannafin, Romanov, right? Then then if George does break in and becomes a player, right? Then you have to look at, and again, it's not a problem, but then then you're looking at trading Romanov, which is fine. Like he's only got one more year left after this, 
they still retain his rights. If they determine that they have someone in the system that they like better than him, then that's that's the way it goes sometimes. Hey, listen, the, you you build on strength. I mean, I think, you know, uh, the strength of this team and the strength of teams that win Stanley Cups has got to be through the defense and the goaltending. And it's like, if you're going to have these goaltenders have a strong defense and go there, uh, I do want to leave with, hey, listen, Islander fans, um, this guy is not falling. Uh, things have not gone perfectly. I think Lane made a bad mistake the other night. Hopefully he learned from that mistake. I think he probably did, but we'll see. Um, we're still working at the lineup kinks here. Uh, we've lost Scott Mayfield for basically the entirety of the season, and yet we're still on a 102.5-point pace. Um, so the sky's not falling. Things are okay, and things can always be worse. You could be the San Jose Sharks, who are could be could be the worst team in the history of the NHL. Um, I mean, they, not only do they have one point, they haven't won a game, by the way. They have one overtime loss and eight losses in regulation in nine games. They have one point out of a possible 18. Um, they are on pace for historically low numbers. But here's the number that's crazy to me. They have a minus 26 goal differential. It means they're basically getting scored by, they're getting outscored in the NHL, in the today's NHL game. They're getting outscored by three every game. Is this the worst team in the history of the NHL? I think it is. I told someone <laughs> it is, and they're like, "Nah, it's not." I'm like, "I'm like, just look at their blue line, and and then report back to me." They're bad. They're really bad. Really, really bad. Which, by the way, the New York Islanders are normally, uh, you know, they do terrible on these West Coast road trips. They're going to have their hands full with the Kings, but uh, the Ducks and the Sharks should be a couple of uh, uh, a couple of easy wins. Anyway, um, any last thoughts for me, Phil? I think we covered the gamut here. Yeah, you know, a couple of a couple of. Uh, some tougher games coming up. I mean, Washington on the road is, is never easy, even though I don't think they're a great team, but the Islanders for some reason have struggled to play there. Then we get Carolina, Boston, Minnesota. So it's going to be a little bit tougher sledding coming up before they head out West. Let's see what they got. Yeah, no, for sure. I was encouraged by the, uh, by the second period versus Colorado. We'll see if, uh, uh, if Lane can get at, Lane can get out of his own way, and maybe Fashing starts playing well. Uh, anyway, I want to thank all of you for joining us uh, once again. You are watching, listening to the Red Line presented by Isles Fix, your only daily New York Islanders newsletter. Subscribe at islesfix.substack.com. I want to thank Steph Rosner, who does an amazing job. If you don't follow him, uh, well, start doing it. You can follow him at Stephan underscore Rosner. You can follow Phil at Phil's Facts. I am at Tuck on Sports. If you have a question for us, we'll be back next week. You can tweet us and uh, use the hashtag the Red Line. And uh, we will uh, do our best to get to it. Uh, That's going to do it for us. Bye-bye.